Hello. Welcome back to another episode of This Is Not a History Lecture. <laughs> wow. We did that was good. That was good. I like that. Um so just to let y'all clue y'all in. Mm-hmm. Um this week's episode is you might have seen it was called Mishaps on the Mountain. Yes. Um and today we're gonna be covering two Stories about mountains. But we'll tell you all those later. Yeah. yeah. For now, Kat, how have you been? I've been good. Um, some really cool stuff. If y'all are interested in museum stuff at all, you would never, like, depending on what you do in museums, you will never have a boring day in your life. Today, I spent all day in a bioscience room. It, let me tell you, the smell of oh. old taxidermied animals, oh, I can no. taste it in oh, my no. mouth still. I was double masked. We had lab coats on and everything because, um, just see, if you didn't know this, old taxidermied stuff has arsenic in it. So, like, yeah, we were like, oh, it definitely no, does. These birds are from 1893. And then we were like, oh, you open the cabinet and it's a wave of just the smell of rot and chemicals and pesticides hitting you <laughs> at once. <laughs> so, I feel like I smell like that. And I'm sorry that I'm sitting right next to you, like, on top of you with this. Well, like, I'm not smelling anything. Good. Unfortunately, okay. this is a not smell medium. Okay. Yeah. So, it won't be translated through the mic. But yeah. that's exciting. Those birds are older than my great grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not all bad. Like, I'm not trying to put a bad rap no. on museums. Sometimes you get to, like, walk around in period costumes, which is what I do. Sometimes you get to pet ponies, which sometimes, I did. Sometimes you get an email from your boss. <gasps> no! <laughs> talking about your TikTok. <laughs> and how they want you to make TikToks for the museum. Yeah. Sometimes that happens. They not to me, out. though. To the other person in this room. <laughs> <laughs> they all found out. I hadn't told my bosses. And one of my coworkers found out. And she told the bosses. And then they told their bosses. And now everyone knows. Including, definitely, Charlie. <laughs> Including um, our museum director. Who is a great, great guy. Mm-hmm. And would be so jazzed about it. But, but I don't... I he's don't, also one of our professors. So. That's a little weird. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. That's great. All sounds yeah. great. I did not have museum work today, although I did this weekend. Cat yeah. gets to do some cooler stuff. Mine is mainly admin related yeah. for my job, but it's still fun. Was it a good day though? Well, you didn't work, but you know, at least did you? Oh, my day fun? was good. Um, yeah, it was chill. I what did I do? I took my nails off. I had some dip nails, and that was a process. Ooh, I've heard you have to like soak them. Yeah, and for longer than I was expecting. Ooh. It took. From when I started to when I finished, it took two hours. So that was my day. That makes me scared to ever try, like, professional nails. (laughs) Well, if you go to a place, they'll take them off for you and it'll be a lot faster. Okay. But I was a dum-dum and I've never had dip nails before. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I can do it. It's fine. It wasn't. Please go get them taken off (laughs) professionally. (laughs) Um, So that was my day. And then... I play Minecraft. <laughs> nice. Until I pick Cat up to do this. <laughs> so yeah. Kaylee drives me everywhere because of that car accident I had, but soon she won't have to, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. We'll work on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, other than that, uh Kat, how was your weekend? Not just today. Good. Um Yeah. Yeah. The- Nothing Again, to I report. got to pet ponies. It was really the highlight of my whole... Cat week. got to pet ponies. I did. Little Sebastian, anyone? Oh, no. They were miniatures. <gasps> I got... And you didn't lead with that? <laughs> I had a little Sebastian moment. Wow. Yeah. It, I, it is a dream to put on something like Harvest Fest. Oh, girl. Best I'm episode. You, 
Do it. Yeah. No, for you my for my project, own. I that's intimidating. I am not Leslie Nope, but <laughs> I will call you. Maybe in Dream World. <laughs> we'll manifest it. Manifest yeah. <laughs> Leslie Nope. You have to see your family this weekend though. I did. My parents came up. Hi, mom and dad. Maybe just mom. I don't think dad listens. <laughs> it's okay. My parents he, still don't know I do this. He might be in the car. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, no, they came up, they brought me a couch, which I guess means now I own two full-size couches. Ooh, look at you growing up in the world. <laughs> which is one more than I need at this point Ooh. in my life. Um, but if all else fails, I'll just give it back to my family. It'll be their problem. <laughs> um, That's fair. So that was fun. It's something to do. Um, they came up yesterday, and that seems like ages ago now. But I know. Yeah. But we can pass really weird. I feel like last Friday was worlds away uh, li- literally when was the last time we were in class 10 years ago i know <laughs> and we don't have to go tomorrow and we don't have to go to tomorrow we could explain why but that's it's a long thing. process yeah basically our university pretends to care about us and then they don't but our professors, but our professors care about us. or at least they pretend to <laughs> <laughs> so far, they do. They're giving so, far so far it's been good so yeah. they are giving us the break that the university promised um which is nice so tomorrow will be a good day hopefully yeah. of and more and nothing in minecraft and this will be uploaded at 9 a.m central time yes yes 8 a.m eastern and i'm sorry i can't do anything else with math about oh, time zones <laughs> Me too. but yeah yeah so I think today we are pretty excited to get started. Yeah, we. Yeah. Uh, it might even go a little long because I didn't think my story would have as many details, but it definitely has details. Yeah. So buckle in. This is going to be a fun episode, one that we have both been excited about since we did last week's. So yeah, and we're going to warn y'all: it's a little less optimistic than usual. Yeah. So um, if you don't like sad things. Be you, you know, be warned. Um, mine has some very you'll as soon as you hear the name, you'll know exactly you'll what it know. is. But I will give an out for the people who don't yes. want a sadder content warnings all around. Yeah, dealing with this doesn't make sense. I should just tell them that I'm yeah. that person. Anyway. Yeah, okay. I'm today. I will be talking about the Donner Party, and I'm also going to tell y'all mine as a little treat um, because, like we said earlier, it we do have a theme. Yeah. Which, weirdly enough, we picked to, for, like, our first episode to do a theme with. We picked, like, a really... <laughs> morbid. <laughs> like, what? Like, there's so many, like, themes in history. Women's history. Well, we do women's history. But, like, suffrage. Yeah. <laughs> Abolition. Yeah. The World Wars. Yours No. Is- no, what we did was mountains. Yeah. So, yeah. mine is the Dyatlov Pass incident. Yeah. Um. So, mm-hmm. buckle up. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. And by good time, we mean... I mean, horribly horrible. awful, sad time. And, I mean... Let's be real. A lot of history is really more traumatic than we think, or it's yes. presented as happy, but people really got hurt in the process. Well, so. I don't know if the Donner Party was ever presented oh, as happy. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. unfortunately, uh, I know we've been keeping it pretty like lighthearted, like Kat said uh, in the last few episodes. But some of y'all like tragedy, though, because yeah. a lot of girls I know like true crime because we like hearing about it because somehow it makes you feel safer. Yeah. Like, yeah. which is awful, but it makes you feel safer knowing that's not currently happening to you. <laughs> that's fair. Um, also, like, we just, you know... Fascinated. You're, I think people are naturally fascinated by yes. the cause a little bit. Yeah. Um, also, like, because it, we do want to be an overarching, like, history thing, Yeah, we are going to be talking about some not-so-happy-go-lucky yeah. topics. Um, even though it kind of seems like we might have started off that way. Yeah. But... <laughs> 
Anyway, so yeah. um, I'm super excited to hear about the Donner Party. Kat yeah. has really been hyping this up. So I, I told her, I found so many details while I was doing this. Um, and I, I, I mean, I knew there would be information because it's such a widely talked about thing that I've just never read deep on before. Um, but I'm talking details. So there's some very scandalous I'm stuff excited. that happens and Kaylee's going to hear about. So I told her not to look it up so that yeah. she could get the full impact of... No, no, no. I So I do know roughly what happened, but all of my knowledge comes from one... Did you ever watch... No. Did you ever watch America, the Story of Us? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's where my content oh. of the Donner Party comes okay. from. So, by the way, pretty decent documentary series yeah. from, what, the History Channel? I if you're interested. It's really, it keeps it interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth a watch if you're interested in American history. And there, I think there is a movie on this, but I don't really? know. I'm, a, I'm not going to recommend it without seeing it or anything. Yeah, there's also a, a movie on Dyatlov, and uh, from the looks of the poster, <laughs> I would not recommend it. The poster I saw. <laughs> not to judge movie. a book by its cover, but it. Well, that, and I don't want to recommend something if it's incredibly gory or something like that, yeah. too. Which this, yeah. If y'all don't know well, the Donner Party, very brief synapsis, synapsis, yeah, synopsis. Yeah, content warning. Content warning. Um, or Donner Party is basically um, a bunch of immigrants were on their way to California, and they got stuck in the Sierra Nevada mountains and resorted to some really... Um, desperate measures and yeah um, i mean we have to say the word it's yeah it's, it's cannibalism, cannibalism. Um, so if you're uncomfy with that i will i'll talk for the first while about just the journey and getting stuck and then i will offer a spark noted more family-friendly explanation of the search parties and what happened and then you can skip ahead to kaylee's if you'd like and then i'm going to go into more detail about the search parties and what happened after that. So you'll have an out. I'll, I will warn you to skip ahead if you don't want details. If you do, though, stick around for my whole thing. Yeah. That's my disclaimer. Yeah. I have to be here the whole time. Yeah. Kaylee doesn't because, get an option. <laughs> because it's my laptop we record on. <laughs> yeah. If I get too gory, tell me. I'm a little desensitized oh, no. because of my research topics. I've just looked at really awful stuff. And I like years. horror movies and horror games, so I'm not the one to answer that okay. question. Well, but we'll just, like she said, we'll give, we'll give people an out if yeah. they need it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you're interested in the Donner Party and I don't go into enough detail for you, there are a lot of detailed timelines because the members of the Donner Party kept actually really good records. They had journals and stuff. So the surviving members ended up getting day-by-day accounts of what was going on, who in the party died or was lost or succumbed to the elements and stuff. So if you are really interested Feel free to, you know, literally just search Donner Party Timeline and you will find so many results. Um, But when I hear about cannibalism in America, the first thing I think is that skull in Jamestown that has a scoring on it and everything. And I always thought like, oh, you know, occasional incidents here and there in really desperate times. But the Donner Party, I knew it was associated with cannibalism. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, they got really desperate. Someone died and they probably, like, resorted yeah, to it. Yeah, that was kind of the, like, I guess sugar-coated way. That's, it gets um, Yeah. It's hard, you know, when you're teaching, like, an American history class. It's tell room of eighth graders, like, right. in vivid detail how, how this happened. Yeah. yeah. But for me, that's, like, what I think of if I think of it in America. I think that one suspected case in Jamestown or something. So yeah. it was kind of interesting to me to realize, like, this and a lot of modern Americans, like, um, it's, it's this really taboo thing, but it, it happens all over the world. And... 
in different places and different, like it's even happened yeah. here in America and mm-hmm. in North America historically. So it's just really interesting to me that I didn't, you know, expect how deep this went. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think just because it's not associated with Americans, you're like, mm-hmm. whoa, this happened here. Yeah. So, well, I'm excited. Well, yeah, I shouldn't say excited, but I am very I mean, intrigued. I'm excited to tell yeah. You. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I won't be able to cover it all because there is so much detail. Yeah. Um, so, contextually, think of, like, the pioneers. We're talking covered wagons, groups of people moving together. Um, the USA is still very young at this point. Like, conceptually, we, th- I think America is so old, and then I'm like, no, we're, what, like, 300 years? No, let me tell you, I went to North Carolina once, and I was flabbergasted. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm in a colony. Mm-hmm. Like, this is... <laughs> Oh, I mean, what, Texas is like 1850. I was like, this is at least 1600, late 1600 maybe. But I was like, wow. And I've never been to Europe, so I don't know what that's like. But anyway, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, this is 1846. I mean, James K. Polk is president. There's a lot of events overlapping. Women's clothing in America is actually getting more restrictive. We're moving into corsets. It's, It's that time period where it's fashionable for women to look like they're dying of tuberculosis. Like, women Uh, wanted to be pale and skinny and malnourished. uh, And weird stuff in America. Um, (laughs) For you non-Americans out there, it's weird here, guys. It's real weird. (laughs) Um, Well, I think, honestly, the fashion stuff is probably in universal Europe. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. Um, So, it's known as the Donner Party. But it was originally the Donner-Reed Party. There were multiple families involved in this, but those were, like, the two most popular the famous photo that uh, I posted on Twitter, but it's actually the Reed family. That's the matriarch and patriarch of the Reed family. The Spelled one we know. how? R-E-E-D. Ah. Darn. Yeah, I know. My so last close. name is Reed, in case you were wondering. <laughs> R-E-I-D. And I was like, she's going to ask. I she's going to ask. <laughs> um, the ages within this traveling party was 70 years old to one year old. The oldest was Margaret Reed's mother, who did die along the trail. Um, and Margaret is the one in the photo, the female in the photo that's really popular. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, it's if you look up Donner Party, it's the first one that comes up, but that's actually the Reeds. Gotcha. And originally, there were almost 500 wagons wow. that were setting out together, and the Reed and Donners were towards the back of the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, they started out in Missouri, and they head towards California using the Oregon Trail, which is somehow a game I still never win. If any of y'all have played Oregon Trail... <laughs> I can't win. I have won it <laughs> quite a few times. And it's, well, I mean, it's something we used in, like, one elementary time, school. Do you, were you there when we played it with uh, one of our professors? Yes. 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 <laughs> uh, we were in undergrad. We were joking around before class, playing the Oregon Trail, like, on the <laughs> on the computer in this giant lecture hall uh, because our logins let us get into it. And we are like, why not? And then a professor walks in, and instead of, like, you know, chastising us for misusing school property or whatever. Just, She's like, oh, put me in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Love I think she died. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I mean, it's for an elementary school teaching tool. It's actually really accurate. Only like one in 10 people that set out on the Oregon Trail did not make it. Wow. Disease was by far the most deadly part, but there weren't consistent bridges or ferries. 
Oh, yeah. Like, that's what killed me. Yeah. And the game was the bridges, or just the drowning mm-hmm. part, because, you know, they, they there wasn't a bridge to get off, like, yeah. a river, or get across a river. Mm-hmm. So... Well, I found it interesting that the National Park Service... I found a website by them and they noted that indigenous groups actually helped immigrants across rivers in a lot of these situations. Yeah. Yeah. That they had the boats and stuff to get people across. So they were super helpful. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But dangerous river crossings, infections from basic issues, you know, you like get a paper cut and it turns septic and then you're Mm -hmm. you're doomed. Yeah. Um, Lack of food or water, bad weather, just plain accidents. Yeah. Um, yeah. The National Park Service also did the math, and the trail was approximately 2,000 miles long, and it, with about 350,000 people starting the journey, there were approximately 13 deaths per mile. What? I Yeah. It's considered the longest graveyard in the nation. I was going to say, because along the whole Oregon Trail, they just have, they would always talk about how many crosses and like mm-hmm. makeshift graves you would see, mm-hmm. and that has to be intimidating as, oh, like, one of the, like, later parties coming through, like, just seeing all right. of that. Yeah. Well, and a lot of them were mass graves, and you, you, sometimes you couldn't bury, you couldn't take time to bury someone, and you didn't, but you didn't want them, like, being yeah. dug up for their, you know, material things that you left them with and stuff. It's, yeah, and if you're religious and burials have been an important thing. Yeah. yeah. It's it's crazy. So, people gave up a ton to just try to cross the Oregon Trail. Um they, the Donner Reed Party, this huge caravan of 500 actually, left in the spring of 46, and it was supposed to take about four to six months. Somewhere along the way, I'll get more into it, the Donner Reed Party breaks off, and um, they cross part of the Rocky Mountains and the Salt Lake Desert that's now part of Utah, and they it's supposed to be a shortcut, essentially, mm-hmm. and they get stranded. It's never a shortcut. Never no, take the no, shortcut. No. Stay with the group. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't. I shouldn't say even stranded. They just get snowed in, like complete, yeah. like every odd work mm-hmm. against them. Um, yeah. yeah. So you could lose yourself to a buffalo stampede. You could get killed by hailstorms, which apparently happened more often than you would think on the Oregon Trail. And Hailstorms. That's a way to go. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I guess with really big hail, it is really dangerous. So, yeah. 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 Um, One big softball-sized hailstone to the head. And you're done. And you're done. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if it's 1848. <laughs> yeah. And these people are towards the back of the the traveling party. Things are already a little tense. Um, and basically as this group goes on and on, they start to split up. Like you naturally split up 500 wagons can't stay together at all times. So the Donner and Reeds, the matriarchs, patriarchs um, decide we're at least going to stick together between us. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people thought that the patriarch of the Reed family was super pretentious. Like the one in the photo, they're like, he's all like aristocratic and trying to be all fancy and everything. And they didn't like him, but they were like, okay, he has some of the most experience with travel. We need him. Yeah. But they all really liked the leader of the Donner party, but he didn't have a ton of experience. So they were like, why don't you two just kind of like co-op, like lead us forward into this mess. And they're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, so, through different events, they get even more separated, and they're just their own party, but they start losing cattle, wagon supplies, and the infighting starts just amongst themselves. Mm, infighting. Never good. It's, it'll be the ultimate takedown every time. Every time. So they're um, kind of debating which way are we going to go? Are we going to take the normal Oregon Trail and everything? And 
this writer is like, oh, there's there's this new trail. We should take it. It's supposed to be shorter. It's supposed to be faster. It's supposed to be easier and cleared out. It'll get us there in safer time. And we should note that the Donner Party itself kind of left later in the year than most parties did. Mm. And they thought, they were told, you know, it's not going to snow this early yet and everything, so you'll be okay. Even then, they're like, okay, we'll make it in time. So they're already fighting for time, and they think it'll be good to take a shortcut and give us a little bit of cushion. So they decide, yeah, let's take this route. It's called the Hastings Cutoff. And it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> yeah, somewhere, even one of the, they sent a writer ahead, basically. And he left a message for them saying, don't use the new trail. It's dangerous. It's not good for how many women and children you have, like physically able people to pass. It's yeah. rough. It's not actually carved out of the mountain yet. Like, yeah, it might be good for like a group of four guys on horseback, mm-hmm. but for a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I heard two accounts that he stapled the note or like, pegged the note into a tree mm-hmm. um, and the party missed it. But I've also heard an account that he left the message with a man at the outpost that was like selling them supplies and stuff. And the man at the outpost didn't want to tell them not to go that way because so he wanted their he business. he wanted to sell them supplies. Yeah. Wow. And if Capitalism that's the case, strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's the case, this guy is responsible for a huge mess. Who's that guy? We need to talk to him. I know. Well, he's dead. Um, uh, Ouija board? No. <laughs> no, Just we kidding. don't mess with Never. That. Yeah. So, Never, ever. <laughs> My mommy told me not to mess with those, so I will not. That's a good recommendation. You should not. Yeah, I don't play that. <laughs> so this ends up adding a month of extra travel to their plans. Almost a full month. Oh, my God. They lose tons of livestock. And what little they have left is, like, weak and thirsty and ill. Um... Like, I can't even tell you the conditions because this is a desert. Like, they literally are going through a hill, like a mountain range, and then a desert. And they, a bunch of their cattle run off into the desert. And two of them are like, okay, well, we need our cattle. And they go after them, come back, and they're like, there's nothing out there. We are. That's terrifying. Yeah. Listen, the Donner, like, learning about the Donner Party at, like, a young age just put a certain kind of fear and stress mm-hmm. in me. And there's so many children in this party. I know. It's ridiculous. It's it's the amount of women and children that made this journey with this type of technology. Like, they were talking in one article about how you couldn't, like, the wheels had to be put in water overnight because if they got too dry, it oh would start God. to crack and fall off the wagon. Jeez. So they're losing wagons. They're having to walk. They're literally just crawling through a desert with <sighs> emaciated animals that have no water, no food, nothing. And they're, then they get stuck on the mountain. Yeah, there's uh. there's no winning for these people. <laughs> wow. Um, it gets so intense that murder gets involved. There's so much infighting that apparently the leader, the patriarch of the Reed family, Reed gets mad at someone else who's driving a wagon with cattle. He does something aggressive. Accounts differ and vary. The driver takes his whip and is about to hit Reed with it. Oh, dang. And Mrs. Reed jumps in trying to stop him. Oh. In, re- like, in retaliation, Mr. Reed kills the driver. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're like, okay, well, um, yeah, Mr. Reed, you got to go. You're shunned. And so yeah, Margaret for Reed. For murder? Yeah. yeah I feel bad. <laughs> Margaret Reed stays on the trail with the big party with her children, and Reed just gets shunned. Apparently, there is one account, though, that his daughter rode up ahead. His older daughter rode up like, and left him supplies so that when he got shunned, he could at least make it to an okay. outpost on his gotcha. own. Gotcha. Um, but this isn't, this is just the worst all around 
all of their wagons are breaking. There's a 70 year old man in the party that had to walk. Like they, they're oh just like God. everyone on your feet walk. His feet literally split open and they <sighs> left him at a creek and eventually they just never see him again. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you this, this story, I, as you say it, I'm remembering more and I know like, it's kind of like how you're saying with like the triangle shirtwaist, mm-hmm. how it just learning about these like historical tragedies just put yeah. a certain kind of fear, fear in, in you. you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's the fear of God or what, but... <laughs> the fear of not having the technology we have now, honestly. The fear of, oh my God, thank God I'm not on the Oregon Trail right, right? now. My parents didn't get this convoluted idea that California's got gold. <laughs> and we're going to walk there. <laughs> yeah. They've lost 100 oxen and cattle at this point. Oh. They have no ability then to pull the wagons or equipment. So they, whatever you carry on your back is what you've got. And that's including telling the women to just carry their children. So also, we should appreciate women. Yeah. Today, the day we're recording is Women's International Women's yeah. Day. Happy International Women's Day. By the way, we should have mentioned that up top. Oh, Happy yeah. International Women's Day. For all of our girls out there. For all of our girls. Mm-hmm. So without the animals to pull them, they do something called caching, where you just bury your wagon and all your goods so that you can come back for them when you have the animals to do it. Mm-hmm. They have one last heave over the mountains. Everyone had told them it won't snow until mid-November, and it's only October at this point. And they set out with the Donners in the back, but they get separated when a wheel axle breaks and the snow starts to fall. It's unusually, unusually early snow, and they're stuck next to the Truckee Lake. And this this is more, I should say, than just the Donner. It's it's the Reeds and a lot of other family members as well from yeah. different places. Mm-hmm. Um and you can imagine it's freezing up there in the Sierra. Do we have like? Do you know roughly how many people are part of this? Yes. Um, let me scroll down. And they left. They went. They started out the trail with approximate with guaranteed eighty-seven members. One account says ninety. Okay. Um, and I'm, a couple died on the way already. So around eighty. So around eighty. I think eighty-seven is where the number okay. comes from. So eighty-seven is probably how many are stuck at the at. In the mountain by the Truckee Lake. Okay, wow, that's more than I thought, too. It's it's really more than I thought as well. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, Donner Party's probably, like, 15 people. Yeah, 15 to 20. Yeah, Two no. families, that sounds like 15 to 20. It's a lot more. They brought servants with them. Wow. I don't know what they were thinking. They hired, like, help. <laughs> Which, I mean, if you're single and trying to get to California, you, yeah. you latch on to any family that will take you. Even yeah, if it means true. being a servant. Yeah. Um, so, food reserves are low. There's no good conditions for hunting. The snow in the mountains can be up to 30 feet in the drifts. Yeah, it can. <laughs> yeah. So before November is even over, the oxen are dead, completely frozen. They stack the carcasses and hope that they'll stay frozen long enough to, you know, use them for supplies and food. Multiple times they try to send out scouts on foot, but it's so rough that every time they send people out, they just come right back. Oh, my gosh. A lot of them are too sick or weak to do anything. One dude even has, like, a deathbed confession about murdering another member along the way. <laughs> like, like, these guys are not having a good time. Oh, my gosh. And they get so desperate that the roofs... So they had stumbled on... There was one cabin already there along the lake by a previous pioneer party. It wasn't, it wasn't a good cabin. But they're like, okay, one cabin. Let's build yeah. a couple more. Everyone else is down in tents. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, no warmth. There's nothing. And they tried yeah. to reinforce these roofs with oxhide and, like... At this point, after the first few weeks there, they're so desperate for food, they start eating the roofs. They eat the roofs, the oh rugs, gosh. anything that could be slightly organic matter. 
and they like boil it down in the fireplace and it turns into like jelly glue that they just uh, yeah uh, have fun eating after this <laughs> and so yeah i can't even tell you how bad the conditions are we're, we're talking children living yeah. in this oh my god and they send out they they all group together and like we have to have at least one scouting mission we're going to put as many people as possible in it, and we're going to send them out together. One of you has to make it to get help. And they call this mission the Forlorn Hope, which is already, <laughs> yeah. Um, but like They called it, or has history I think, called I think it? history's called it, because I don't okay. think any, No one optimistically goes, oh, oh my yes, gosh. the Forlorn Hope. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't be laughing, that's awful. Uh, okay. It's okay, we're dealing, we're, co- we're coping, yeah. we're cope laughing. <laughs> Um, so within the first few miles, a man falls behind and his body wasn't found until the next year. Like that's how bad the conditions are. Oh my gosh. And without anyone really dead yet, they start talking. This is okay. If you want the happy version of this, um, a couple people from the scouting mission make it. And through multiple trips back to the cabins, there are settlers from California that help get the surviving members of the party out only about half of them survive this ordeal and they all go on to the survivors live relatively okay-ish lives after the mental turmoil that they've had um and that's the best spark notes version of it i can give you without getting into more detail if you want to hear more detail stick around and here we go here we go Last chance. Yeah, this is this is your out, guys. Yep, and then you get to hear about more people dying in mountains yeah. with me. Uh huh. N- no cannibalism though. <laughs> oh no, this is literally where it starts. Oh yeah. I know. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no, for me. Oh okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no cannibalism, my story. Yeah. <laughs> so without, I literally just said that. Sorry. They're getting desperate, and they start talking about drawing straws to make a human sacrifice and see who it's going to be. Um, they're talking, do we volunteer who wants to die? Do we draw straws? Do we duel? Or do we just wait? Duel. And there are, like, this is the scouting party alone. This is not the people left in the, their little pioneer area. This is the scouting party. The scouting party is mm-hmm. having this conversation? Yeah. They're oh. desperate. They're stuck in the mountains. They have horrible snowshoes oh made out gosh. of bones. And they don't have to decide because within, like, the next couple days two people die of natural causes one had hypothermia and Mm -hmm. stripped off his clothes ran off then returned before dying which uh, when you have hypothermia there's something called paradoxical undressing where basically your vessels constrict in the cold and it's it's the attempt for your body to keep warm blood in your core and stop blood from circulating in your extremities which is why when you get frostbite you lose fingers and toes and stuff first but um when those muscles start to fail, that blood starts to move all over your body again, and it feels like a hot flash. It feels like you're burning and you're sweating. So you undress, even though you're freezing to death, and that's what this man did. He Yeah, and in my story, there's some potential paradoxical undressing, too. And when mm-hmm. I saw it, it happened to about, what, I think it was 25% of yeah. um, it's more hypothermia. Which is why, if, if yeah, it's ever, pretty common, actually. Yeah, if you ever get in a situation where someone has hypothermia, strip them down to as bare as possible and lay next to them. Mm-hmm. Like it's the best way to regulate their body temperature. At least that's what I was finding when I was researching this. Um, Rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah. So these bodies are stripped of flesh. 
muscle and organs, which are dried and used for food. And the best that it could do, because these are family members, is to make sure that no one had to eat a relative. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the best they could do. And <sighs> it's not any better back at the Pioneer Post where the families with kids are still waiting because it gets so bad there that family members did have to eat family members. <sighs> um, so Ugh. this search party, though, the Forlorn Hope, they just keep trying to get over the mountains. They know that they are the absolute last hope. Um, and when those bodies run out, when that food runs out, the group kind of starts talking about killing these two men who had joined on later in the party. They were um, indigenous people, I think, who had just joined to help scout, to help them. Out of the goodness of their hearts. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, like, get inklings of this plan. And so they, they, they're like, no, wait, we're, we're bolting. They realize that they're probably next on the list. So they run for it. And a couple of days later, the group stumbles upon them, and they're absolutely on the verge of death. They are starving. They are in the snow, these <sighs> two men. And one man in the group... <sighs> takes his gun mm. and shoots them in the head. It's the only documented murder for food that okay. they know of, but they, the group used their bodies and kept going out of the forlorn hope. 15 people set out seven survived. Um, and they made it to a California ranch to help organizers <laughs> to help organize rescue efforts. Mm-hmm. Now back in California, James Reed, the guy who got shunned before for, yeah, yeah He's, like, made it out of the mountains back in October. He made it over the mountain oh, wow. before. Because he's it's just him on a horse. It's just him, and he can go as fast as he needs to. And, and it's, it hits October, and he's like, um, my family's not here. Yeah. Where, what's going on? And he knows, like, the snow is there. It's going to be an issue. Uh-huh. So he trades. He promises a man, I will serve in the Mexico, Mexico-American War if you help me go find my family. Okay. And I was like, that's, that's a hell of a deal, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And they can't make it all the way up the mountain to find the family, and they eventually have to turn around. But with, like, a bunch of rallying efforts, publicity, all that stuff, uh, they are able to form another party. But they can't get them until February of 47. Ooh. Yeah, so this is, we're talking months stranded in these mountains. Yeah, I mean, months. it's once it's winter, it's winter, mm-hmm. you know? And there's, like, there's so many, the journals are incredible what these people did to survive. We're talking literally eating bark off of trees, like, it's, it's incredible. Um, and incredible, I say, not in a good way. Like, yeah. incredible as in, like, I cannot believe that they were able to survive this in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, that's impressive. Impressive. Yeah. I mean, you know, the links they had to go to, but. Mm-hmm. And <sighs> so in the middle of February, they set out again. They find the original camp with mostly women and small children. There are about 13 bodies buried in the snow. It was and the snow is so high it's piled to their roofs. Like, oh my gosh! Like I can't even imagine. I thought our freeze a couple weeks ago without electricity and heat was bad. I oh can't. God. <laughs> yeah. Again, thank thank God we don't. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a it's a question. Oh, if you could live in any point in history, which would you live in? None of no, them. Not, no. 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 If anything, I'd go and visit for a weekend, but <laughs> I, know, like, I wouldn't live anywhere. Yeah. Really, because, no. Yeah, it's not great. Um, and they realized that. Like, the rescuers realize we can't take all of these people back with us. We don't have the rations. We don't have the means. There are so many of them here. And some of them are in such bad health that we can't move them. And they end up having to split families and stuff as they go. Even, like, Hope is finally there. And And it's just out of reach. And so even the people that they rescue, they lose them on the way back to California. There was one guy. 
also, as far as survival things go, guys, if you're ever starving or super dehydrated and you're, you suddenly get access to food and water, do not yeah, eat Yeah, little do by little. yourself. Very slowly, nothing rich. Like, I know that's super niche and hopefully you never need that info. But one yeah. guy does this and literally dies. Yeah, it's he, too much for your system. Yeah. He got on that wagon, ate so much, and then promptly died when he was within safety. Yeah. So... We're talking, like, cup of water and some crackers. Yeah. Like, nothing more. Ease yourself back into it. Mm-hmm. Um, Margaret Reed, the one in the picture, she realizes that her children are too weak. Two of them. She has four, I believe. And she has to make the choice, do I go with my older children and the support party and the relief party, or do I stay here with my two younger ones who are probably not going to make it? And <sighs> oh my God. she leaves her two children behind with oh. another woman. And just hopes that she'll see them again. Her eight-year-old daughter, Patty, tells her, who's being left behind, tells her, quote, Well, Ma, if you never see me again, just do the best that you can. Oh, my God. Uh... I know. I'd like, I'd like for an eight-year-old to realize yeah. what's going on, to realize she won't see her mom probably again and all the, like, I, I just, I can't. Like, yeah. the wisdom and the stuff that these children had to go through is incredible. I know. No child should ever have to go through anything no. like that. No. And on March... No, human I know, being. I was saying, Yeah. Especially not children, yeah. Mm-hmm. On March 1st, another party goes back down to the lake to get the remaining people. And miraculously, between the first and second relief party, no one dies. Really? Yeah. They managed to, like... They left some rations with them as much as they could. I guess it was just, like, hope is, like, that renewed, like, human spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't say it was good because the methods they used to keep everyone alive oh no they were back to cannibalism the, uh, they left what they could with them but they needed it for the return journey as well and that's yeah. half a month um those 13 bodies that were sitting out in the snow before are prime real estate oh which is awful um <laughs> the, in the meantime they've eaten at least three of those bodies total um elizabeth donner is in really bad condition because she refused to eat her husband when he died, but her Ugh. children had to eat their father. Oh my God. So she's not doing, uh, obviously she's not doing well, but they try to save more people from this. They still can't get everyone on the relief party because again, they started with like 87 to 90 people on this trip back to California with this relief party. One woman was so frostbitten that she didn't realize she fell asleep with her feet in the fire and got, like, third-degree burns. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So this is the second... This is the second relief okay. party. Yeah. They lose another child in the cold on the way back as well. But mm. the third relief party comes. Oh, my God. It took three rounds. Mm. Oh, my gosh. And two of the men leading it were part of the original party that set out from Missouri together. Okay. One of them found their children dead. Oh, no. And a man that was stranded in the camp admitted to eating this man's son uh. and the returning man threatened oh, understandably to murder him if he ever saw him again yeah and this same man who had eaten his son apparently there's like talk amongst it that a woman who died he may have actually killed her and for food uh-huh. and then taken her jewelry and stuff mm. but he claimed he was intent that she died of natural causes and that he was going to give the proceeds to her orphaned children so real sketchy. I really, I real hope that's the case because if that Otherwise, is not the case, that is he deserved to kill you. Like he deserves yeah. that right to kill you. Apparently, Ooh. he had to be talked out of it. Like 
later in life after he survived, oh. the guy was like had to be talked out of murdering his son's cannibal. What? Understandable. Again, yeah, yeah, completely understandable. If, if you're gonna if you're gonna hold a grudge, <laughs> that's a that's a good grudge. Yeah. Um, and you know me and how I like to little try to pull my my hero out of the story <laughs> optimistically, and John Stark was a California settler who came along on this relief party from California. And when they come across 11 people, mostly kids, who were left behind by early relief groups, he single-handedly carries them down the mountain, like, a few yards at a time. He would pick two up, go forward a few yards, set the child down, go back up the mountain, get two more, and did it the entire time to carry nine children total down the mountain. Wow. So John Stark. Good for you, John Stark. Go for it. Um, All right, cool guy, cool guy. <laughs> yeah, and eventually, it's it sounds so weird to just jump from, yes, they're all dying and cannibalizing to California. But eventually, yeah. the survivors get to California. Um, women are more scarce in California, which, Kaylee, that would be a fascinating talk to, to, topic to talk about if you ever oh, want to talk I, about, like, the gold rush and women. Oh, I am aware that women were scarce in California, because mm-hmm. I did research on mm-hmm. that. Okay, I'll leave it for you then. Um, I'll add it to the list. Okay. <laughs> Um, but a lot of these widows get married. You know? uh, if, in case you're wondering, I think the ratio of women to men in California at one point was like 50 to 1. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Fun fact. <laughs> yeah. That, there's a good one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so a lot of these widows have no problem getting remarried. But oh, there's yeah. tons of orphans. And some of the young girls are married off for dowries, what we would consider kind of like to be that concept. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. But the last survivor... Isabel Breen, who was part of, like, the Breen family, was only one during this event. And I don't know how you survived this as a one-year-old. Oh, my God. I don't know either. I, I really don't. Lived until 1935. Wow. Um, so she was the last wow. living one. That's um, crazy. Yeah. Understandably, they're all very emotionally and mentally... Um, traumatized? Traumatized, yeah. And yeah. I would be, too, if I had to eat one of my I'm parents. traumatized hearing about it. Yeah. <laughs> so... All in all, they start with 87 members, 90-ish. 48 survive. The last did not get out until April 21st. Oh, my God. April? Over half of the original group was below 18 years old. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and I wasn't kidding when I said they packed up their children and just took off on the trail. Yeah. And And one of the survivors literally wrote to someone, it's not dangerous if you know what you're doing. And, like... Like, she encouraged people to take the Oregon Trail and just, like, knew that yeah. everything that happened to them was, like, a horrible, yeah. like, I event, mean, it, event, uh, event yeah. cascade. Like, the Titanic. It just all goes wrong at mm-hmm. once. And that's kind of what happens in my story, too. But yeah. we'll get into that in a minute. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what's interesting, and apparently one of the reasons a lot of people, soci, soci, sociologists, sociologists, there's the word. Sociologists. I am a... It's okay. We did some tongue twisters before this, and yeah. we didn't we didn't do very good at well, them. Well, I also tried to say socioeconomics, and then that is not a That's thing. not relevant right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but children make up the majority of the survivors, and people, soci, sociologists study this because of the weird outcomes sometimes. The 15 members of the snowshoe party, eight out of the 10 men died. All five women survived, which I think it's fascinating that women went so out on the, this party. So this is the search party? The, mm-hmm, the oh, yeah, that health. is interesting that yeah. I guess they needed people. Yeah, yeah, and statistically, at the late, more men died as well. And 
it's an interesting look at both natural selection. I mean, and men might have been the ones they were expected to take more risks. They were mm-hmm. probably, you know, giving up food so their families could have it and stuff, insist- insisting that their children eat first, all that. But it's also interesting because women take require less caloric intake and they're better at storing fat. Like it's just the way our bodies work apparently. Yeah. And I didn't know this until I was reading. But um Well, I mean, just if you look at like I mean, men can get skinny. Yeah, they like, can. Insanely skinny. And like, women Timi- don't. Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> you, know how I, you know how I feel about Timothy Chalamet. You know how I feel about Timothy Chalamet. We have very different opinions on Timothy very, Chalamet. Literally polar opposite. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, that's why they they think that a lot more women survived is because statistic, like, percentage-wise, more women survived out of this. That's because, really interesting. Yeah, they were just better suited for the conditions. Hmm. Some people blatantly denied cannibalism their whole lives. Um, we know for the fact that every single member of the Forlorn Hope search party or scouting party had to have engaged in cannibalism. There's no denying mm-hmm. that. But um, if we take individual people's claims, it, over half would have had to have eaten human flesh during this. There was one guy, this is really graphic, one guy reportedly when the search party came back, they found him just eating a frozen uncooked infant. Oh, my God. Like, like we're talking, like, people just, I mean, there's no option. They just, it's a feral. Like, it's. No, I mean, yeah, because you do revert. It's do or die. It's survival. Like. It's literally. And that's where that human survival instinct. And that's when you remember humans are animals, too. Yeah. And and it's crazy to me because people study this as a worst case scenarios. What are humans capable of? Yeah. And this is one of those times when humans really proved what they were capable of. But also a lot of people. And I don't have an admiration for what they did, but the fact that you try, that you at all costs survive. Yeah. Is, it's like. I don't know if I would have that. I couldn't, I don't think I could. Yeah. But you. I mean, we've never been in that situation. You can't say I would or wouldn't because literally your instincts kick in and you will. There's accounts of people starving and eating anything. Yeah. It happened during World War II. Cannibalism Mm -hmm. was. If y'all didn't know this, World War II, there was definitely cannibalism. People were starving in the streets, in the ghettos, in the in the camps, in everything. Cannibalism was a thing. Um, and in Russia, too, where, like, food scarcity was so bad. Like, yeah. it's more common than we think. Yeah. And if I say I wouldn't, I, I can't say that for sure because I'm sure everyone else in the world thinks they wouldn't either until yeah, they have until to. they have to. Unfortunately... We have never been in that situation, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We are very fortunate, and I hope never to. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, but um, on the- <laughs> uh, yeah, I really left y'all on a cheery note there. Congrats, you survived the retelling of the Donner Party. Yeah, um, that was really informative. Thank you, Kat. You did a great job. Well, thank you. If y'all want detailed details, like down to who died, what day, who did what, you can find it. But I didn't want to go any more graphic than that. There are more yeah. graphic accounts. Um, we would be here for a long time, too, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, but also props to people who, through all of that, kept really good journals. I don't have that kind of discipline. I can't even, t- I can't even journal <laughs> But I guess, I mean, there's, there's nothing else you can really do That's but sit true. there and write. That is true. <laughs> can't leave your cabin. Or at least to distract you. But then you're writing about what's happening. I don't know. Yeah. 87 <laughs> people in, like, three cabins in a few tents, though, is just piled on top. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, maybe yours will be a little more cheery. Okay, now we're recording on the snowball mic and not on my laptop. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, 
up. So basically, to fill you in, if our audio, we, if our audio was echoey earlier, <laughs> we, the we, mic wasn't plugged in. We promise we know how to use technology. No, we, we don't. We are twenty-two year old. You're twenty-three. I'm 23. We know how to use technology, but oh my god, we just did not realize for that whole time that the mic was plugged in, but not like fully plugged in. <laughs> That was really cool. Um, we were like, um, listen, why is still, it so echoey? Yeah, we were just really confused. We're like, that's weird. Like, it wasn't this echoey last time. Like, what's different? It was because my computer was recording. Even though it says right here, input blue snowball. Apparently, it was not inputting the blue snowball. But the um, audio on your computer wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. So we've made the executive decision not, not to, to re-record all of the Donner Party. Um, just because we don't want to put ourselves through that trauma again. Yeah. Um, but now we know to look for the red blinking light. Yeah. Make sure that, uh, you know, future future reference, we need to make sure that happens. And yeah. ironically, um, I sat on top of Kaylee pretty much that entire time I was talking about the Yeah, Donner like party. trying to like scooch in and... <laughs> I kept wondering, I was like, why is it, like, the sound wave so much, why are the sound waves so much bigger on, like, when I talk? Okay, I thought I so, like, too. I was like, that doesn't make sense. It's because I was closer. <laughs> we'll be better about this, guys. It just takes practice. Um, but- yeah. So, we'll know for next time. We, it's a learning experience. Y'all are here with us. Yeah. To learn. Um, about how to use technology. That's an uplifting, funny thing to happen in between the story of the Donner Party and (laughs) Yacht Love Pass. Where a bunch more people die on a different mountain. Yeah, so. (laughs) Um, yeah, so without a further ado, let me get situated here a little bit. Now that we have our mic. Now that we have our mic for sure plugged in. Oof. Um, sorry about that. (laughs) I anyway, think this is hilarious. This is pretty funny. I don't know. So today, I'm going to talk about Dialoff Pass. Um, and this is probably, Kat and I were talking about it, but we can't think of like another historical event um, yeah. like this to happen on a mountain. Yeah, um, not one that, I mean, I'm sure they're out there, but we didn't know of them on top, off the top of our head. The only yeah. thing we could think of is like Sleeping Beauty or Green Boots on Everest. And on that's Everest. not like a... We could do a whole story, but that's more recent. Yeah, that's is, not really history. Yeah. Um, Although anything that happened in the past is history. That's true. Yesterday was history. Today is the present. No, it's a mystery. It's a, a mystery. Wait, no, no, no. Tomorrow is no, a no. gift. That's why they call no, it. No, it's yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today, today is, is a gift. gift. That's that is why, why it's, it's called, called a present. present. <laughs> is that Kung Fu Kung Panda? Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> The soundtrack slaps, oh, guys. It's so good. If you've never just listened to the soundtrack, Uwe ascends. Ooh, he ascends. He he hits a new level. I ascend. Hans Zimmer, the man who wrote the Pirates Caribbean soundtrack, the Batman soundtrack, millions of other phenomenal things. Prince of Egypt went so hard on Panda. Stop me. I yeah. I'll uh, talk she'll for talk hours. for hours. <laughs> Um, but it's okay. I benefit from it because she tells me what cool songs to put on my uh, study playlists. <laughs> So, anyway, yeah, um, yeah so Love Pass. So, on February 26, 1959, a search party finds the tent of the nine-person, originally ten-person hiking group buried in the snow of Dead Mountain, which is part of the Ural Mountain Range, and that's the range that separates um, Europe from Asia. Mm. Um, in the tent... You said 1959? 1959. That's older than I thought. I was thinking like 
70s really? or 80s. Yeah. I thought it was in the 60s. Um, I just, I mean, I know yeah. the one photo is like really fuzzy and grainy, but for some reason my brain was like, photography. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> Recent. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah no. Um, so 1959. Uh, in the tent, they find, the search party finds blankets, a pair of boots, the root map of the party, money, food, alcohol, and rucksacks, all neatly lined up and relatively undisturbed. They also find the tent cut open from the inside and about eight to nine steps of sets of footprints leading away from the tent. Um, and these were not footsteps you were expecting in a snowy environment. They were all bare footprints. Whoa. So that's what the search party finds initially. But the boots are there. They're just in the tent. Yes. So going back now to the beginning of this party. So January 23rd, just over a month before, a party of 10 hikers boarded a train in the Russian city of Sverdlovsk. Um, and I'm going to say this right now. You I'm about it? to have a list a lot of Russian names. <laughs> and I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm here for it. I, I have been looking at these names. And the good thing about Russian is it's very like what's there is what you say. The phonetics. Yeah. But there's just so much there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I want to see your Texan self pronounce these names. Let's do it. I'm ready. <laughs> so bear with me. Um, and unfortunately, it might get a little confusing a little later on. I'll try to do my best to differentiate. Um, so this group of 10 hikers were all friends from um, the Ural Polytechnic Institute. Um, and they're all in their early 20s, except for one man who is a 38-year-old. Um, and they all just wanted to go hiking. Um and they did. So is, is Death Mountain like is it called Death Mountain because it's known to be really deadly and difficult or is it like a pleasure So it's that, called it's called Dead Mountain and it's called Dead Mountain by the local indigenous people okay. um called the Monsi people. Um and I think that's just their name for okay, it. Okay, so it wasn't known to be like a super difficult. Well, no. And let me as I'm refreshing Sorry, my if memory. You, if I'm interrupting the flow of your story. No, no, you're fine. Um they did talk about it it's not the most dangerous mountain, but it's not. But a also, I yeah, I don't think the lo- the like the uh, indigenous people really wanted to do that okay. um, during the winter. Okay. And oh, dead of winter. Yeah, this is ch- late January, early February. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I mean, they're Russian, though. I mean, I, they're, they're they, Russian. They so if anyone it. can do it, it's, <laughs> it's them. Yeah. So. So, the ten hikers in this group are. Igor Dyatlov, for which the pass is eventually named after, he's the lead hiker in this, and he is 23, and he is a fifth-year radio engineering student. Then we have Zaneda Kolmogorova, who is 21, who is also, I believe, a radio engineering student. Um, my apologies, she was 22. Then we have Yuri Doroshenko, who is 21. They're young. Yeah, they're, they're our young, age. They're young, young. They're literally yeah. just... College kids, They're going, college out, for kids going out for a hike. Yeah. Oh, this makes it so much worse. Oh, no. This is almost as bad as thinking about children and the daughter. <laughs> this is so bad. They're um, our age. Okay. They're our age. Sorry, I'm yeah. just gonna sit over here and like cry. Yeah. Okay. No. So Yuri Doroshenko, um, who's 21, who is studying um, power economics, whatever that means. Um, then we have Alexander Kolov. 
Kolivatov, 24, who is studying nuclear physics. Then we have another Yuri, which makes things more difficult (laughs) for me. Um, Then we have Yuri Krivonishenko, uh, 23. And um, so I'm going to list three people. They're all in the, they're all engineering students. So Yuri Krivonishenko, who is 23, Rustin, Rustin Slobodin, who is also 23, and Nicholas Thibault Brignol, who is all, they're all 23 and they're all engineering students. Um, and then we have Lyud, <laughs> Ludmila Dubinina, who's 20, and Yuri Yudin, which is <laughs> third Yuri, if you're keeping track, <laughs> um, who's 22. And they're both economic students. And then we have Simeon Zolo, Zolotaryov, um, who was 38 and is a sports instructor who had fought in World War II. Whoa. Um, he was the odd one out. As I mentioned before, they were all students at the Ural Polytechnic Institute. Um, and they were just really friends who just wanted to go hiking. And this is crazy to me because I, I had one roommate who went snow hiking with like a group of like 10 to 15 people. Oh my gosh. And if I had known like the details about the ZLF pass incident when she went, I would have been, I was like, I, I was already worried about her, but I was like, ah. <laughs> Now you hear about, like, you know, kids our age going hiking, and then something just gives way. Or it's yeah. muddy, and there's a slide. Or they go to take a picture and then fall off the edge of the Grand Canyon. Yeah, it's like, you I know. Really, uh, it's, it, you think walking should be easy. Yeah. But walking <laughs> through snow is not that easy. No. So from January 23rd to February 1st, they take a series of trains, buses, and eventually um, uh, they had to ride on a truck to get out to death uh, to Dead Mountain. Um, and then uh, they cross-country ski for a day or two, and their final tent, their final camp um, was set on February 1st. Um, and something happens between February 1st and February 23rd. 26 um and that's the story so wait february 1st and 26th yeah so their final tent like their final camp they know for sure was set on february 1st and the search party finds them on february 26th it took them 25 days to realize that they were missing yeah but i'll get to it but around february 20th is when the families they knew it was going to take a while but february yeah. 20th was too long yeah i think they were planning on staying out for two weeks and maybe at the three week oh. mark they were like something's wrong and then they organized a search party and then it took them is it consistently freezing up here like bodies would be preserved in this weather yes okay yeah um, i guess that's a little different yeah at night temperatures reached to negative 20 30 <gasps> celsius oh my god yeah so freezing yeah um so what how is that fun who does that for a pleasure trip? I, 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 <laughs> I don't know russians russians true <laughs> um, so yeah and that is all we really know um yeah and the next information we know is found by the search party so as i said before the search party finds the tent and uh what appears to be nine sets of bare footprints leading away from the tent. So they continued the search on February 26th and they find the first two bodies that are located about 20 meters from the tent. These bodies. Oh, by the way, I should mention, sorry, I forgot to mention this. Um, the original party of hikers was 10 people. Um, when they started the cross country skiing portion of the trip, Yuri Yudin, 
um, one of the economic students decided to turn back because he was dealing with some really bad joint pain and he didn't think he could make was it. Was he the 38-year-old? No, no. that was a physical. So the 38-year-old yeah. kept the up The 38-year-old kept up, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and these, I didn't say it, but every article is like these kids were experienced they did this for fun this was uh, like they yeah they knew exactly what they were doing they knew how to ski they knew how to hike they knew how to they knew how to survive so it was not like it was like oh let's just go do this we've never done okay. this before like they knew what they were doing which is yeah. i think adds to the mystery of it which is i mean you would have to because i could barely survive that day that the power went out here and it was three degrees yeah and i like i can't imagine it purposefully in a tent yeah negative 20 to 30 like you would have to know incredible yeah. survival skills yeah exactly and so these kids were they were experienced um but yeah like i said yuri yudin uh turned back um and he would be the only one to survive. Um, Imagine that survivor's guilt. I know. And just because I think he said his sciatic nerve was acting up. Oh, are you and kidding? just because of something that simple. So like, much in history. like It's like hearing about people at 9-11 who pure chance. didn't go in or they were late or they missed their bus or their uh-huh. kid was sick or something. And you miss tragedy by yeah. minutes. No, I know. Um, yeah. So my apologies. Me mute my computer. <laughs> um, so, uh, the first two bodies were found about 20 meters from the tent. These bodies were of Yuri Doroshenko and Yuri Krivonishenko. Um, both men were stripped down to their underwear. Krivonishenko had bitten off a chunk of his own knuckle. Next to them was the remains of a campfire, and it had appeared as if one of them was trying to climb into the tree. Um, they were in a tree line. These bodies were found in a tree line. And it appeared if one of them had been trying to climb up into a tree to look for firewood. Um, and these men were the most undressed. So it's thought that the paradoxical undressing happened with them. Mm. Um, so, yes. Uh, and I do believe that their ultimate cause of death, death was fro- frostbite. Imagine, um, like, being so skilled. Or in sur- hypothermia. Like, being so skilled in survival and knowing what's happening. Because I'm sure if you start feeling hot and you're yeah. in the snow, you know what's happening. Yeah. That's terrifying. <gasps> um, yeah. So, paradoxical undressing could be what happened with these two. But it really just seemed like they were trying to find a way to get warm. And in negative 20, 30 degrees Celsius... Mm. It just takes minutes. Um, so then they found the body of Igor Dyatlov. Um, he was fully dressed, but he was not wearing shoes. Um, and then they found Zenaida. Uh, uh, she's one of the two women. Um, there was only two women on this trip. So they found her. Zenaida Kolmogorova was found next. Um, and she was, her body was in a position that kind of suggested that she was trying to get back to the tent, um, which is sad. And she was also, interestingly, interestingly enough, found with a bright red bruise across her chest. Um, so mm. some sort of, I didn't, some, something hit her. I didn't know that like something like that, like even a bruise, like blood pooling could freeze like that. But I guess yeah. if you're frozen exactly where you fall. Mm-hmm. So, February 26th, they found those four bodies. Um, And on March 5th, they found Rustin Slobodin. He was mostly dressed, and he, funnily enough, had four pairs of socks on. um, And he was wearing one boot. So, that's Hmm. interesting. He also had a fractured skull. 
Um, and his watch was stopped at 8.45 a.m., p.m., we don't know, but his watch was stopped at that time. Mm-hmm. So the remaining four bodies were not found until May when the snow had melted. These bodies were the, the bodies of Nikolai Thibault Brignol, um, and he was also found with, fra- with a fractured skull. And then we have Alexander Kolivatov was found with a wound near his ear and his neck twisted in a, quote, odd way. And then we found the bodies of, and then the, and these were all found in a ravine that was a few hundred meters from the tent, um, which is why I think they had, um, it, it took them so long to find them because like Kat mentioned, the snow drifts were probably super high and they might've just fallen into it. Um, Ooh, like they, they didn't realize it was a ravine and they stepped yeah. in the snow and fell through. <gasps> Maybe. I mean, we don't know what happened, but that would be what I would guess. Yeah. Um, so then the bodies of Lyudmila Dubinina and Simeon um, Zolotarov were found last. Zolotarov had, was found with multiple broken ribs and an open wound on his head that went down to the bone. <gasps> Dubinina was found with a missing tongue and both of these bodies were found with empty eye sockets. <gasps> yeah. Wait, the snow had already melted like critters got to it or that's the best guess, but it definitely adds to the mystery. All of these weird injuries and everything definitely add to the mystery. Um, oh my yeah. So, oh. and what's interesting enough, some of these four bodies that they did not find until May were wearing some of the clothing from the initial bodies, which how that works, I don't know, but oh. yeah. And that's, wait, okay. all, that's all we know. I have so many theories right now, but I'm going to yeah. let you do your theories first. No, um, that's why the reason, that's all we know. And that's why there's so like, this is one of the most like conspiracy theory fraught cases yeah. because what the heck happened to these people? Yeah, if y'all thought you knew everything about history, history is not factual. History is a bunch of guesswork. And yeah. And always be proven wrong. Yep. Um, so the Russian government, um, it took them about a month to just say that, oh, everyone here died of hypothermia. Um, we know now that that's not the case and that three of them likely died due to injuries and the rest died to hypothermia. Um, but the government, Russian government saying that, Obviously, because we know Russian, they're not the most trustworthy government. <laughs> Ooh, getting political. So um, that was a big, and there's actually um, some of the family members of the people who died uh, had, were like, no, the government, like the government was involved. I'd be mad too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, one thing that I forgot to mention Uh-oh. that is important to conspiracy theories is that their clothing was found with high levels of radiation. What? Yeah. Like... Like radiation. Like Spider-Man radioactivity. <laughs> in the mountains. In the mountains. With nowhere near civilization. Yep. Okay, now I have to hear the explanation <laughs> for that. Yeah, so... Uh, wild, right? It's just weird. It's just weird. Tell me they figured out what the radiation is. No. Still to this day, they don't know. They anything? have a guess, but... Okay, I'll oh, sorry, I'll let you yeah. go. <laughs> so... Now, if you've ever seen Best Man Unsolved, I'm going to quote them. Now, let's get into the theories. <laughs> At the time of the death, of their death, um, so basically right after the bodies were discovered, obviously the government is one of the first people up to blame because of their quick assumption of this is definitely what happened to them. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Yeah, and because of the weird kind of events uh, surrounding them, obviously there's like a million conspiracy theories. Um, <sighs> rumors. Um, the biggest one for government involvement had been that rumors, or that they thought that the Russian government used them to experiment on, hence the radiation. Uh-huh. Um, and then they had come back, placed the bodies back, and staged the scene um, to make it appear like something had happened, whatever had happened, happened mm. to them. Um and apparently the skin of the bodies was a weird red color, which is uh, described as being, like, the color of, like, red brick. Wow. Um, yeah, which is weird. So that just added to, like, the weird um, experiment stuff. Maybe they're doing yeah. something to the bodies. Um, so that's the main Russian government theory. Um, it's just human experimenting. Um, and another theory was that at the time... Like, in, like, 1959, these two were the biggest theories. Um, another theory is that the, the I mentioned before the local indigenous people, the Monsi, um, were involved somehow and killed them. Um, but this theory was actually disproven by the government. Um, and it was actually, the government was like, yeah, these people, they had nothing to do with this. I feel like, yeah. that, in the time period, very fear-based racial yeah. profiling. And for of- the government to, like, not take that scapegoat, you know yeah, like yeah they definitely um, were involved yeah i don't think they were involved especially because it was a monty hunter who found the bodies in the ravine so the yeah, bodies no. that were found in may yeah he was the one who discovered them um and then of course oh did the indigenous people help the search party look i don't know about the initial search party but i i think they probably were because they helped um the original the hiking party get up to the mountain oh that's, they seem that's like they're a very helpful group of people yeah so they probably were involved um at least as guides um and then of course because like any weird mystery mm. gotta have aliens yeah um, yep and there was a uh, uh one of the monsi people a woman they well no, no no sorry my apologies there was a woman in the local town um the town like closest to the dead mountain um, who saw something, an object in the sky. And this is a quote from her. She says, this bright burning object appeared. It was wider at the front and narrow at their back with a tail. And there were sparks playing off of it. So UFO question mark, an asteroid, an asteroid, a flare, falling star. Yeah. Anything. Okay. Yeah. So, but, but those are all boring. So it was definitely aliens. Yeah. Um, aliens. yeah. And up until very recently, as in January of this year, this was this next theory is the most likely theory. Um, and just some honorable mentions. Of course, we have the Yeti. Yes, um, yes, I believe it was the Yeti. <laughs> yep, he, he definitely ate the came in. Yeah, he ate the eyeballs in the tongue. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, he definitely came and just was like, "What are you doing on my mountain?" <laughs> um, the Monty people had never seen him before, but he decides to come for this group yep, of hikers. He's like, yeah. "Screw these guys. I, I'm <laughs> friends with these guys. They're they're cool." But um, yeah, so Yeti. Um, and then, I mean, if you look into this, there's, I no doubt, hundreds of variations of different theories of what happened to these people. But, like I said uh, just a minute ago, this is probably, uh, until recently, this was the most likely guess. Um, and it has to do with low-frequency sound. So, American researcher Donnie Icar claims that harsh winds blowing over the mountain created a, quote, Carmen Vortex Street. And this... Vortex Street, if you know anything about what that is, I, I don't know. Um, I'm just reading articles here. Um, this vortex had pro- was 
producing a low-frequency sound. And according to research, this sound has been proven. Um, and that sound vibrated the, their ear hair, so their ear hair oh. follicles. Mm-hmm. And so it really messed with um, their equilibrium, their perception, and Complete stuff like that. orientation. Yeah, orientation, all of that stuff. And so um, and this low frequency, the specific frequency, has been known to cause nausea, um, intense psychological discomfort, and it could have caused the hikers to panic, hence the weird, mm-hmm. seemingly weird actions of like how they found their bodies and mm-hmm. states of undress and no shoes and just generally acting irrationally. Um, so, yeah, before literally January 28th, 2021, that was the leading theory of what happened to them. So... That seems a little, to me personally, I would I would believe that before I believe aliens, but that yeah. still doesn't explain. I mean, I guess if you get separated and super disoriented, bugs go after eyes and tongue and mm-hmm. stuff first, the like softer Yeah, flesh. but it doesn't, uh, that doesn't explain, explain like the skull fractures. Yeah, and, and everything. Yeah. Um, so before uh, I talk about uh basically them solving it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's worthy of noting that the Russian government actually reopened this case in 2019 on the 60th anniversary. Oh, wow. And um, due to one renewed public interest and um, also I think the anniversary played into it, mm-hmm. but it wasn't actually the Russian government that figured out what was going on. It was um, a researcher from Sweden and a researcher from uh, Russia that finally... Teamwork. Kind of, they cracked. They, they cracked, cracked the code. <laughs> so on January twenty eighth, twenty twenty one, an article was published in the in the journal Communications, Earth and Environment that has pretty much put an end to one of, or that has pretty much solved one of history's greatest mysteries. So this has to do with an avalanche, and avalanche has obviously just because that's how people die on mountains yeah. has been a theory since nineteen fifty nine, but up till now it just really didn't. Uh, seem to add up and i'm gonna pull a quote from a nat geo article that um i used to explain this part but so basically quote many argued that the avalanche theory initially proposed in 1959 didn't seem did it still didn't seem to stack up um the tent and cap encampment was cut into the snow on a slope with an incline of seemingly seemingly too mild to permit an avalanche um, there was no snowfall on the night of February 1st that could have increased the weight of the snow burden on the slope, um, that it could have increased the weight of snow burden on the snow slope and triggered a collapse. Most of the blunt force trauma like injuries and some of the soft tissue tissue damage were atypical of those caused by avalanches whose victims usually asphyxiate. Exfis- 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 there you go. You got it. Asphyxiate. <laughs> And if an avalanche had occurred, why was there a gap of at least nine hours, according to forensic data, between team members cutting off this, cutting the slope for their encampment and an eventual avalanche? So the tent they had kind of cut into the snow to, and if you know anything about like surviving in snow, you know that snow is an insulator. Mm-hmm. So they had cut into this the slope um, of snow to so put like, their tent in. Like you kind of like burrow then. Yeah, it's kind of like a little burrow. Okay. Um, and how? So the slope. And they get into this. The slope of the mountain was roughly 29 to 30 degrees. Uh Um, And so they had cut into the snow on the taller side, like the upper slope, and then like kind of situated themselves. And then obviously the snow snow on the other side was like lower. Um, 
And that comes into play because, let me tell you, I had to reread all of this stuff several times to make sure I could explain it well. So, all of, for all these reasons, the injuries being inconsistent, um, the slope being wrong, no snow that night, um, all of that stuff. The avalanche theory was a possibility, but it was pretty much disproven until um, these reachers kind of were like, no, we, we want to solve this. Um, so... Alexander Prison um, sought to answer what really happened. Um, and he was convinced it was an avalanche, even though it didn't seem likely. He's like, that's probably the most realistic mm. of what happened. So there is something called a delayed avalanche. Um, and these can be triggered by earthquakes or strong winds. Um, and basically what this is, is there something, an event triggers an avalanche and there's a weak layer of snow underneath the snow that would be eventually evolved in the avalanche. But because the layer of snow on the bottom is weaker, it takes a while, I think, for the snow on top to, like, something to do with snow. And the weak layer of snow, like, not being weak enough to immediately So it's like putting water trigger. on cardboard. Like, it has to, like, get Yeah, out. it kind of, yeah, it has to, like, break. And it takes okay. time for it to happen. Um, which is why, like, sometimes avalanches can seemingly happen out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's working with this theory of uh, maybe it's a delayed avalanche. Um, so, uh, like I said, the slope was on exactly 30 degrees, which is the believed minimum requirement for avalanches. So, again, kind of like with Kat's case, it's just everything adding up to... Event cascade. Event cascade. Like, all the conditions were perfect. Because what eventually they figured out happened to them is an incredibly rare event. Mm -hmm. But um, this researcher, Alexander Persin, said, yes, it's rare, but rare things do happen. Yeah. Um, So, basically, it was a delayed micro-avalanche. And... What they believe happened is that heavy winds kicked up snow from farther up to the mountain and deposited it um, right by their tent. So this added to the snow weight of the already um, fragile or the already delicate like snow balance there. Mm -hmm. And then when they had cut their tent in to the snow, that disrupted the balance. (gasps) Um, And so the added weight basically forced the snow that's on top of this weak layer to come like plummet like pummel into their tent and um so it just dropped on them yeah so it was described as like a snow slab hitting them and this was uh, they believe it was probably roughly the size of an suv um and as you can imagine this is like this would it's basically like an suv running into their tent oh like yeah like all at once like (laughs) oh yeah that much snow so um, what they believe happened is that, um, were they all in one tent? They were all in one tent. Oh my god! And they believe that some of the people with the more serious injuries got injured. They might've been on the closer side of the tent, but they got injured in the tent. And then in a desperate attempt to save their friends, they went out into the night and eventually froze oh, to death, no. like succumbed to the elements. So very sad. Um, on a bit of a lighter note, I guess, the researcher from Sweden, um, Johan Guam, uh, watched Frozen in 2013 and was really impressed with how 
the they animated snow mm-hmm. and he reached out to the um, animation team and asked if they could tell him how they did it and he used that technology and those models to um no to simulate no yeah and to basically prove this theory um and he was working with alexander prison but yeah so they used the tech the snow animating technology in frozen to use what? and to create models and basically like kind of guess into making to like until they uh, figured out what eventually happened. So, oh my god! Yeah, so I guess Frozen did yeah. solved Dyatlov Pass, which is crazy, but <laughs> that's insane. Sentences we didn't think we'd hear today. <laughs> Sentences I thought I would never say, but um, yeah. So that's a bit of a fun fact. Um, so, like I said before, it was basically concluded that um, the tent was hit by this SUV-sized snow slab. I always thought snow was light and fluffy until I saw this snowstorm that almost stalled our first couple episodes. I've never seen that in Texas. And that's the first time I realized snow isn't light and fluffy. It is heavy, especially yeah. when it like melts slightly and then refreezes. It yeah. is, it's just water in solid mm-hmm. form. Yeah, it's insane. Um, yeah, so... Uh, the best that... Uh, more than likely, this definitely proves it. I think a lot of people agree. Mm-hmm. There are some elements to the story that are unproven. Um, the state of undress of some of the party members could be attributed to they woke up in the middle of the night when this happened. Mm-hmm. They had their shoes off and they were just panicking and didn't have time to put boots on. Or the paradoxical undressing. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, it doesn't include things like what happened to eyes and tongues. And um, why was, why were their clothes radioactive? Those kind of things. Um, So there still are elements of mystery to this. Um, But this is more than likely what happened. It's still a theory. Mm -hmm. Um, However, as with most things in history, it'll never, we'll never know exactly what happened that night. Um, But I would just like to finish from this quote on this quote from Alexander Prison, who published the article. He says, um, he calls it a story of courage and friendship. So, and that is Dyatlov Pass. Oh, it really, it, it does. I mean, if they're all in a tent together, if I was in a tent with you and other people and like, a SUV slab of snow and ice hit us. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd pull y'all out of there. Like, and I, I hope you would do the yeah. same to me. No, exactly. Like, and uh, they were probably desperate. Oh, yeah. I'm and, sure they were digging with their hands through ice. Like, yeah. And they were like, oh, my God, my friend has a brain, like a skull fracture. We're in the middle we of ha- nowhere. Yeah, we have to get them back. And I don't really think they were that far off from the closest, like, Civilization. Civilization. Yeah. Maybe a day or two. Well, it's like Maybe. If two of them were found in their underwear, that hits about that 25% yeah. of paradoxical mm-hmm. undressing. And if they were together, they could have fueled each other's, you know, like, oh my yeah. God, it's getting really hot when you didn't undress, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Mm-hmm. And if they fell into the ravine, that would explain, well, so would the SUV size slab of snow, the yeah. skull fracture, her chest bruise. Yeah, well, the one with the chest bruise didn't, um, she wasn't in the ravine. What oh. I think might have happened with her is she was injured in the initial impact, but not enough to, like, mm-hmm. need immediate medical attention. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I forgot to mention this, but it was it has been concluded that three of them died from injuries related to the avalanche. The impact, yeah. Yeah. Um, and six of them died from hypothermia. So, Ugh. yeah. Um, 
That's yeah, so it is, it is crazy. Bugs do go for your eyes and tongue, though, I think, yeah. first. So that mm-hmm. would explain well, it, but the like, radioactivity has no explanation. Yeah, that's and weird. That's, the radioactivity is weird, and what's weird to me is how two of the bo- like the bodies in the ravine were wearing clothes of the... Like, that to me what is odd. What if they survived longer, went yeah. back, realized their friends were dead, and they were like... We have maybe. to use their clothes. It's the only way we're going to survive. Well, yeah, maybe. That would be my initial guess. Being but. left for months in the snow and then finding partially decayed corpses, yeah. you can't use the forensics quite as mm-hmm. easily, especially in the late 50s, early 60s. The yeah. forensics is not there. Yeah. So I mean, why it's still... What if they got radio- radioactivity from like going to school together? Because they would have been all together before that. And maybe, exposed. yeah. And... and one article, the theory was it was like a certain type of lantern they were using, like fuel from a lantern oh. could have been. Okay. But I don't know how likely that is. I mean, it, like you said, it was 59, so who knows what was going on. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's still an element of mystery, but this is a really crazy, crazy event. Really, though? Yeah. yeah. And and it's really crazy that I, I mean... You know, I, I'd heard about Dialof before, but I never thought, thought I would see it solve. I thought it was always just going to be one of those things yeah. of, like, what happened? We don't know. So, yeah. And it's weird because it feels like we're talking about true crime right now, and we're definitely not a true crime, crime podcast. No. But there is a lot of stuff in history that, like, is so sketch. Or is yeah. so, like, the princes, there's new research recently saying that the princes in the tower were actually murdered or weren't, and people are debating it. And I'm like... All of history is one big power struggle yeah. of murder and seduction. And, and all we can do fighting. is look back and guess. Yeah. Like It's crazy. I will argue, always argue that history is a social science. And in fact, it's a really difficult social science because people who do like sociology, psychology, mm-hmm. those kind of things have the data in front of them and have the ability to ask questions to get more data. Mm-hmm. History is looking back and doing those same kind of studies, but just using what we have and in and context, hoping it's enough yeah cultural differences contexts like yeah. societal implications our, pro- our professors oh, i've had several professors say this look at the past like a foreign country yeah like we don't know what they were doing why they did it mm-hmm. <laughs> like well not to say like that sounds xenophobic but like well, no you know it's customs are different yeah people are different yeah. communication's different yeah just so, values are different yeah so that's crazy. Well, we all stuck yeah. with us through a really heavy episode. So yeah, we hope, like we said at the beginning, we were pretty excited for this episode. Yeah. I think we did a great we, job. We went through it. Yeah. yeah. And if you can't tell, we're getting more comfortable with this format. With we're, researching. I would Let say me we're tell getting you, better with technology, but we're not. <laughs> we can't say that. Not this episode. Um, we're sorry for that blunder. Hopefully yeah. you sound we'll be better okay. We'll be okay. Um, yeah. And let me tell you, uh, since this was such a big story, it was so nice to like see reputable news sources again because mm-hmm. I've been, like we said, history is interesting trying to put together and I've been using some interesting websites to gather information for my, yeah. past, my past few stories. So it was nice to like see BBC, The Atlantic, yeah. <laughs> Nat Geo. We don't have to like triple check your You're sources. Like, um, this is the only articles I can find on this, but uh, this seems like someone's history blog. Yeah. No, I had Encyclopedia Britannica. I had uh, all these and I was like, so yes. reassuring. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. Thanks for sticking through it with us. Mm-hmm. Next week, we'll, we'll it will be more cheery on my end. Yeah, it'll be more cheery on my end okay. too. Mine's a pretty fun story. So I think we're doing. Are we yeah. doing women? We're both doing women again for Women's Ooh. History Month. Um, should we close on a fun fact? 
Yeah, let's see. I wrote one down this week in preparation for you guys because I felt like yeah. it would be fun if y'all could like always leave with a fun fact. Yeah, that um, way we're not so awkwardly saying goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it took – this is also a kind of dark fact. I don't know why I chose it for this episode. <laughs> Okay, well, let's hear it. <laughs> okay, so many of y'all will recognize the name Yosef Haydn. Um, that was an awful pronunciation, and I'm so, oh, I was not intending to make fun of anyone. Do you want to know what's happening right now? My mom's calling, and <laughs> she told me earlier that she was hoping to call me while well, while we were recording. It. She made it in one minute and of our she, ending. She made it right at the end. So, mom, she congrats, it. you did it. You really did it. <laughs> um, so yeah, the famous Austrian composer um, who's like called like the father of the string quartet and everything. Um, it took 145 years to be for his skull to be returned to the rest of his body in his grave because oh. originally doctors took it from the grave to do that. It's like, there's a special name for it, but you know, when you think the theory that like, if you're smart in math or music, different parts of your brain are going to be bigger. Oh yeah. yeah. So someone took it to do that to it. It took 145 years for Joseph Haydn's like, skull to yeah. be back with it. No, body. it's okay. I just want to look at it real quick. <laughs> It, it, it sat on people's like mantelpieces. I'm for sure years. it did. Yeah, I'm sure it did. And they're like, I have. Just <laughs> that's just how people back then were. They were like, yeah, this is a human skull. Where yeah. it come from? I don't know. But so that's your fun slash gruesome fact. Be sure to follow us on uh, Twitter. I almost said on podcast on Twitter. <laughs> on Twitter at t i n a h a h l podcast. Um, that is our at, and if you want to reach out to us via email, that is this is not a history lecture at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Feedback, thoughts, questions. Leave reviews. Leave reviews. Oh yeah, please leave please, reviews. That's, that's how we that's, get the word out. Yeah, we please. got a huge uptake in visitors this week. So yeah, thank that was you guys. really awesome. We are so happy to have more people listening to us, and we hope that you're happy to be listening to us. Yeah. Um, and we, if you have favorites, recommendations, things we should look into, throw them out there. We, we would love to hear them. Yeah. And sorry again about the mic quality thing. Just when we thought we had it down. <laughs> We screwed it up again. Hey, we'll, we'll work on it. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. We'll yeah. get there. We know that red button means recording. Yes. Red light means recording. Yes. So We appreciate all of you. So thank you yes. and have thank a good so week. Have a good week. See you next See Tuesday. You next Tuesday. Wait. Yeah. Wait, that spells something. I didn't mean to offend anyone. Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Anyway. Bye. bye.